You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 40 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Dropouts. Dropouts is a four-piece pop-punk outfit hailing from Los Angeles, California. Their sound has been described as a mix of the Ramones' melodic simplicity, Blink-182's tongue-in-cheek spirit, and the early rock and roll stylings of Chuck Berry. Their new record, Punk Sounds, was produced by Greg Hetson of Bad Religion and the Circle Jerks. For more information, please check out Facebook and Instagram at Dropouts Pop Punk. Now here it is, their new single, Dancing Shoes. The nice lucky snowy Cleveland The icy potholes, streets are freezing Let out a dance, but I can't believe it The year's body spent alone Surrounded by kissy couples Your eyes, your eyes are full of trouble And I don't want to dance with anyone but you You give me just one night and I will This is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.
Brandon from Rancid, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the van, tomorrow we'll do it, we'll do it all again. Hello and welcome to episode number 40 of that one time on tour. As always, I am your host, Chris Swinney, back with another stellar conversation with someone in or around the music industry. So uh, how's everybody doing out there, man? We're back. This is a milestone kind of. I mean, I thought 50 is going to be cooler, but 40, 40 episodes. That's crazy. Uh, I have an episode for each year that I've been on this earth. So uh, this week's going to be great. I got to sit down with Mr. Brandon Steinekert from Rancid, and he also used to play in The Used. I hadn't seen Brandon since Warp Tour in 2003, and uh, we had a really good chat. We talked about all kinds of good stuff. So before we get to that, I do want to say that we hit 100 reviews on iTunes, um, or Apple Podcasts, I guess is what they're pushing for call it now. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited. That was the plan. I wanted to get up to 100. Now, I want to get to 200, but I did promise you we were going to do a contest if we hit 100 reviews. So I'm ironing out the details on the contest right now. So, you know, keep leaving reviews. If you haven't done it yet, please, you know, preferably five stars, you could win the contest. I'm going to have something really cool for you guys. I'll probably have it figured out by next week's episode. If not, it'll be on social media. So make sure you're following us on everything, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything is just at TOTOT podcast. I do need to take the time that I always do to pay the bills, to keep the lights on. I've got to tell you about my amazing sponsors. Back once again, Merge 4. They're a crazy company, man. They make socks, you know. Do you know any cool designer sock companies? I do. Merge 4. They're amazing. Go on over to Merge4.com or hit them up on all the social medias at Merge4. They have collaborations with artists and, and professional athletes. It's just, it's a really cool place and uh, their socks are affordable as well. I have a pair on right now. So go on over and check out Merge4.com. Next on the list, I have to tell you about Sticker Wolf. Sticker Wolf, I tell you guys every week, they're amazing. They did our logo. They've done stickers for the show. They have great affordable prices. But if you know, if you get a hold of Sticker Wolf and you want to save a little bit more money, make sure to use the promo code TOTOT. That one time on tour, T-O-T-O-T. Just let them know that we sent you and they're going to give you 10% off of your stickers that you get from them or your graphic design work or whatever you need. So check out StickerWolf.com. Muncie Music Center, still on board as a sponsor. They hook me up really well with equipment and anything that I would need for the podcast. It's a really cool store here in Muncie, Indiana. I teach guitar there. It's at 600 South Mulberry Street in Muncie or you can hit them up on MuncieMusic.com. Last but not least, I have to tell you about Rockabilia.com. I tell you every week, they're an amazing, amazing company. Your one-stop shop for band merch. And I guarantee if you're here to listen to Brandon talk about Rancid or The Used, they have both bands merch at rockabilia.com. So head on over to rockabilia.com and at checkout, use the promo code PCTOTOT. You're going to save 15% on that order. 
So thanks a lot to Frankie over at Rockabilia. We appreciate the support. I do need to tell you guys about Patreon.com. I don't push it very hard because I don't really like begging for money, but there is a lot of costs that come up with running the podcast, and it, it does help out. And a lot of people might think this is funny, but I'm really excited. We have two patrons now. You know, they've both pledged $5 a month, and that goes a really long way to help with you know, the hosting costs and everything for the files. So if you guys want to become a patron, all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. Once again, that is patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. If you guys feel like what I'm doing has some merit and, you know, it means something to you and you get some enjoyment out of it, please become a patron. If not, keep listening for free, man. I'm doing it for you guys anyway, so it doesn't matter, but I could use the help if you guys can't afford to do it. I do want to give a shout out to both of our patrons, and I'm going to continue to, you know, name patrons as we get them, if we get any more. Uh, So I do want to give a shout out to David Wilkins. He's out of Texas and Jackie Marshall. She is out of Indiana. Big ups to David Wilkins out of Texas and Jackie Marshall from Indiana. Thank you guys so much for being patrons. I'm going to be dropping some cool exclusive episodes and just different content for the patrons. So if you guys want to help us out, go on over to patreon.com forward slash T O-T-O-T podcast. If you guys want to become a sponsor, we had this really cool band at the beginning, Dropouts. I, I love them, man. They they were actually produced by Greg Hetson of Bad Religion and the Circle Jerks, who is going to be a future guest on this show. So go check out Dropouts. They're really cool. All the info is in the show notes and at the beginning of the episode. If you guys want to become a sponsor, if you have a band or a company, all you have to do is email me, podcast at gmail.com, and we'll figure all the details out. So I work with all budgets, everything. Just hit me up and we will do it. So yeah, that's going to do it for me. I just want to say thank you guys so much for being a part of my life and allowing me to be a part of yours. You know, if you're driving right now, or if you're just sitting at home listening to this, I appreciate you. Couldn't do it without you, honestly. I mean, I could, but it wouldn't be funny because nobody would be listening. So I'm going to jump right into my conversation right now with Mr. Brandon Steinekert from Rancid and the Used. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Brandon from Rancid. How you doing today, man? I'm very well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I really appreciate it that you came on the show. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I don't know if you remember or not. Uh, we met back on Warp Tour. I'm I'm wanting to say 2003 when you were on with the Used. Nice. Yeah, that was like the the whirlwind year, right? Like. <laughs> well, I remember you guys. I'm not sure if you guys were on. I think you were on the main stage eventually, but maybe you started on a smaller stage, or maybe it was the year before. I remember seeing you guys on the Vulcan stage. Oh yeah. So we did it in um, 2002 and 2003. Um, and the first one was like, and man, we were, it was like the smallest side stages where there were like wood crates yeah. as the stage and kept breaking shit and they'd get mad at us. And I think we played the main stage one time, like somewhere really, you know, small. <laughs> I, I think I was, the I, was on the, I was on the tour in 2002 as well. So I think maybe that's what I'm remembering. But I do remember... I uh, I got fairly friendly with uh, with Quinn, the guitarist at the time, and hung, uh-huh. out, hung out with Jeff a little bit. But I remember you and I, we, we talked a couple times, but man, it's been so long ago. I'm, I'm sure you don't remember. Yeah, right? Like a lifetime, it feels like. <laughs> a lifetime ago. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about all that. What I'd like to do here at the beginning is I like to dig pretty deep into my into my guests' backgrounds as far as music goes. So well, like when you were small, I, you grew up in Utah, correct? Yep. 
what what got you into music? What made you feel like you were passionate about getting into music? Like we all have one thing that kind of does it for us. What was it for you? You know, I mean, for me, I was so late to the game. I feel like I grew up in a household that we had very little music, very little exposure to it. I had a very conservative Mormon family. And it was like the only music I ever heard growing up was, you know, the Beach Boys and like Kenny Rogers. You know? <laughs> and it was like very minimal. And, and I got into skateboarding when I was 11. And that kind of was my life. And then, of course, through skateboarding, skate videos, stuff like that, you just get exposed to so much great music. And by the time I was like 15, 16, pretty deep in teenage depression and angst, you know, yeah. um, that was when it really was resonating and, and making a massive impact on my life. And some of the best records were coming out through those years um, that were kind of changing the game, like Nirvana Nevermind and the first Rage Against the Machine album, you know, like these were the ones that were like, making me realize like, oh my God, like this is like medicine for all my problems. And I, I you think you're, you're 40 like I am. I think we're the same age, correct? 20, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. both 20. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like to say that as well. Doesn't that sound so old to say out loud? <sighs> my God. Man, it, it's crazy. My <laughs> my wife is 13 years younger than me and like every day since I've turned 40, she looks at me and she goes, it's so weird that you're 40. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's really weird that I'm 40. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. But forty's a lot younger than it used to be, I think. Yeah. Now that I feel, now that we're forty. I feel like uh, you know, with you and I both being forty, we probably had some of the same, you know, formidable years like the bands that inspired us and whatnot. I know I was big into skateboarding as well. Uh what were some nice. of the skateboarding heroes that you had growing up? Man, everybody from you know, of course Tony Hawk. I mean, he was the guy raising the bar and doing the sickest shit. Rodney Mullen has always been a favorite of mine. Um, and then there's everybody from like my first deck ever was a Matt Hensley H street, which is rad because Matt's a friend of ours and it's a trip to like, yeah. you know, I've, I've toured the guy a bunch in flogging Molly and yeah. it's still so weird to me. That's like, man, I had your pro deck when I was 11 years old, like, you know, like it's so rad. I remember, I remember being on warp tour with those guys. And the first time that I met him, I was like, wait a minute, you're the same guy that I, I had your board. I felt the same yeah. way that you did. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. Yeah. I honestly, the first time I met him, we were doing, um, it was, uh, the let the dominoes fall album, um, that we did all the acoustic versions, okay. um, of all of our songs as well. And Matt came over to the studio and played on a few songs and I literally like, I got so weird and like, I couldn't even, I wanted to tell him so bad and I couldn't, I just felt so uncomfortable. And I was like, ah, like, and I didn't even say anything about it. And then it was like, one of the times on tour, I was like, kind of geeked out and was like, by the way, I got to tell you, <laughs> you know, like, like you were my first board ever and it was fucking awesome. And, and he was super rad about it and, and it was funny, but I just, for some reason I felt so like, I got so embarrassed and awkward to tell him that first time. Do you, when you were, you know, coming up in the U's and especially now in Rancid, I just know that, you know, when the bands that I was in started having some success and I was meeting certain people from certain bands or even, you know, like athletes like that, did you find yourself being sort of starstruck? I mean, I held it in pretty well, but on the inside, I was going crazy when I would meet, like when I met Fat Mike for the first time, I was like freaking out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm uh, honestly, and in, in, in all, uh, you know, in all honesty, I, I still am that way. A hundred percent where like, I just, I don't know if it's being from a small town 
or just my perspective on, you know, entertainment and music and arts and sports. But like, I still like totally geek out on that shit. And I still get like shy and awkward and whatever, when it's just like somebody I'm a huge fan of. And I've been that way for years where I, I really enjoy being a fan. You know, I think it keeps me more passionate about music. And I feel like it's too easy that people kind of get a little bit jaded and, and I guess just used to it in our industry where it's yeah. not a big deal anymore. And, and they're not really like, they don't have any like musical heroes that are alive or whatever it is. And <laughs> to me, it's like, no, man, I'm not above admitting it. Like I'm a total fan. Even if they, these people are my friends, I'm still a super fan. Like I, I'm a total green day, super fan, total oh, yeah. nerd on that. And I saw, I saw they, some pictures on Instagram with you hanging out with Billy Joe, I think on new year's or something. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they've become good friends of mine and, and I still, I'm like a super fan. Like it just, there's like the two different versions almost. It's like the people, you know, and hang out with, and there's the people like you have posters of on your wall, Yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's like they're two different versions, you know? And you know how people tell you like, don't meet your heroes because you know, they'll let you down the first time I've met the guys in Metallica twice. And you know, you're my, you're my age. I'm sure you listen to like master of puppets and the black album and all that stuff growing up. They've always been kind of this pinnacle for me as far as learning to play guitar. And when I met them, I was so worried that they were going to let me down. But I got to say, man, they were the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. That's awesome. I love when that happens, man. Like, I, I always am like, it, I'm like skeptical, but I want to meet people. I, I love to like, you know, I love seeing that they're human and that, you know, they're just like you and I and everybody else. It's like, I love that. But at the same time, I'm always worried because there have been those few that are just fucking dickheads and you're just like, you're like, no, like this is so much better when I had no idea, you know? And, well, you know, when you were like a kid and maybe you'd go see a show or you'd, you'd get the chance to maybe meet somebody that you, that you respected or whatever, and maybe they were a dick to you. I've had that happen to me when I was young, going to concerts and shows and yeah. you start to be like, man, they're a dick. And then when you get on tour and you start doing what they're doing and you realize that man, not every day on tour is a great day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You realize like that burned out feeling and sometimes you're just tired and <laughs> you're not always in that headspace to like take a hundred pictures and sign a hundred things. And it's just, yeah. So I think from being a musician and, you know, achieving whatever little tiny success I have, it's, it's, it's given me that perspective that, okay, maybe those guys that were sort of dicks once in a while, when I met them, they were just having a really bad day. They missed their kids. They missed their wife, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, you really, you really never know. It, it doesn't necessarily mean it's ego or that they're whatever it might come across as, but, and it's, it's tricky too. Cause it's like, like, I love going out and meeting people when I get a chance and like saying hello. And then if that means taking a photo or that means signing some stuff or whatever, but I always laugh about how it's like, <laughs> there's always like a little more yeah. people want where it's like, <laughs> like you say, Hey, and then like you sign something and then you take a photo and then like they want you to like leave their voicemail message or something and then they want you to call their friend and then you're facetiming with somebody and then like they want your belt and they want your hat <laughs> it's like all right like at what point can i start like saying no respectfully and not look like an asshole have people actually <laughs> ask you for like your belt and stuff oh absolutely it's so weird we're like these are my clothes like no sorry but no, <laughs> like, I like it too. That's why I have it. 
<laughs> That's insane, man. Well, I tell you what, this, uh, I, I had a list of notes, but we're already way off, but I like tangents. So, but I do want to know when you started playing drums, you're living in Utah. And I mean, I've been to Utah many times. I've got friends out there. I know that the, the Mormon kind of conservative thing can almost be like a stranglehold around, you know, pop culture or anything underground. So what was it like? What were you listening to back then when you started playing drums and you started starting bands? Honestly, it was so like, there was so much variety from just like punk and hardcore bands to, to rock and heavy music. I was in love with, you know, um, to, to like reggae and ska bands and, and like literally like everything. Um, the, but really, I mean, you look at some of the best bands in the nineties, since that was really this era that I was coming up in and discovering music. And again, like Rage Against the Machine, Nirvana, that really, struck me when it come came to like learning drums because because they were like what seemed like simple drumming yet so tasteful and and would flex at just the right moments and so you could kind of wrap your head around it and start to really you know for me i could it was the some of the best music for me to really separate the drums from i could really hear and make out what the drums were playing and kind of get behind it and start playing some of these grooves along with it. And as a really pissed off, angry, depressed teenager, you know, there's nothing better than playing along to those records. And, and so that was really kind of shaping me and getting me just grooving. And then it was literally like, you know, Dookie came out around that time. And, and that was a massive one for me to like learn some of those songs and that kind of helped me learn how to play faster. And then everything from social D to the clash to Pennywise to, the band Snot. Did you ever hear Snot? Oh yeah, Lynn Strait, man. Uh, some of those guys yeah. that were in Lagwagon that they jammed in that band. Yeah, yeah. Like um, Jamie Miller, a good friend of mine now. He plays in Bad Religion. Um, he was my favorite drummer at the time for for that debut album of theirs. The drumming on that was so sick, and the way he utilized the whole kit and the toms and beats and so it was like a lot of that, mostly really angst driven shit because I was really angry, and that was like. I mean, for me and Quinn, we were like the the songwriters and the used and, and wrote everything musically for our first two records. And him and I had such a diverse, you know, listen to everything. And it was kind of meshing all of those influences together that kind of created our style. Because you can hear elements of pop and hardcore and, and metal and, and everything in the music we did, you know, so... Just kind of had to find a groove. I always loved with the used. I mean, just exactly what you're saying from the first time I saw you guys live and then I bought the record, there was so many influences throughout each song. I mean, even some of the pretty more melodic songs would just get crazy in the middle. And I love that the name of the band was the used, which to me sounds like a total old school punk rock band. (laughs) Rad. So it, it was just really cool that, I don't know. I, there were a lot of bands kind of doing the scream sing thing back then, but you guys had something going on a little bit different. Can you tell me kind of where that came from? Like when Bert got into the band, what was his influence on the songs? So, so when Quinn and I finally pulled the plug on the band we were doing at the time, because it was one of those ones where every song was different, where we had our like kind of new metalish song and a punk rock song and a Scott punk song and a funk song. And it was just like, all right, what are we doing? Like, you know, and something clicked where we just learned to rather than trying to emulate our influences, we let them influence us and just tried to make our own version of all of it mixed. And then 
of course, we stumbled upon the new noise uh, refused video had come out around that time. And that was a game changer, dude. We saw that and it was literally like we were searching for something and just found it, you know? And, and again, it was like, all right, let's not go out and try to recreate what they've done, but this is fucking brilliant. And, and you know, the name couldn't have fit that album better with the shape of punk to come. Can you imagine if they would have named it that, but it wouldn't have been so groundbreaking and amazing. <laughs> right. <laughs> they they the had, follow up. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they had some balls on them to name their, their name, that record that. Right. I mean, they had some balls on them to do everything they did on that record. Oh yeah. It was brilliant. And, and that like literally changed the game for us where, uh, you know, we, we wrote our first song together. Um, maybe memories. That was the first song off our first record. And, um, that was our, our very first one Quinn and I dove into, and it was literally us kind of, I mean, you can hear it. We literally were biting off refuse on that song. Yeah. Um, in the bridge that took it, took it, took it, took it. Like we fully <laughs> were like, but it was more like a, a tip of the hat than trying to bite off them, you know? But, um, so then we were just like trying to find that perfect last piece of the puzzle. And we had known Bert, we had been played with him for years. He was in like a pop punk band. Um, then he was in like a straight edge hardcore band. So we knew the kid could scream and he could sing and he had just come out of rehab, you know, classic Utah story from a straight edge hardcore band to meth to rehab. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> but when we linked up with him, he was just coming from a whole different place too, where you had him, like his favorite music at the time was like ink and dagger and, and stuff like that. And then, um, Jeff was like obsessed with Mr. Bungle yeah. and things like that. And then Quinn was getting real into like Radiohead and shit like that. But I was hung up on like punk rock. And so literally we'd mix those styles and it just turned out to be what it was. And then one of my favorite things we'd always talk about and that I loved with Bert was as much as we all loved hardcore metal, we didn't want to do something that was just simply screaming for the sake of screaming. It, we wanted to make it count. And like, we loved that Bert would only scream something if that resonated with him with the lyrics, not because it would sound cool to have a scream at this part yeah. kind of thing. So we would have a really mellow song or something that maybe the whole bridge, we would have him just screaming in the background while we were throwing things at him and beating him and doing stuff to just like get some sincerity out of him. And, and it was awesome because it just felt more sincere, you know, and like, like he meant it. And, um, it, we just, you know, tried to make it count when, when he would scream and not just simply like, you know, it wasn't a guitar. Like now we click on the distortion pedal, you know, it was like, no, let's do it where it counts. I, rem I remember seeing you guys on Warp Tour. I believe it was in 2003 on the main stage and it might've been a, a couple days on the tour, but I remember one time he had a trash can up there because he would scream so hard that he would actually start throwing up. Oh, that happened all the time back then. I mean, it was a mix of just not quite being conditioned for how hard he would try to go <laughs> yeah, and just simply how hard he would go. But it was never a fun thing. He didn't like it. It was so harsh on his vocals. People thought it was like a gimmicky thing. And it was like, are you kidding? Does anybody want to throw up? Like, yeah. you know, and it was like, and we don't want to fucking watch that happen. Like while we're on stage, like, you know, like, but um, yeah, he would just for a while there, he would go so hard that, that it would just, come out literally <laughs> so you guys got 
Bert and the band, you know, you you're, you wrote the song, everything, you guys are getting everything going. Are you playing shows at that point, like just around town? Like what what's the the scene like there where you're at? Yeah, we there's the scene was kind of a lack thereof at, in a good way and a bad way. You know, it it kept it from being very clicky and in the way of like there was very there wasn't any like segregation in our in our scene because it didn't exist. So we'd literally like have to rent out a veterans hall and the show would be like a punk band with a hip hop guy and a, a metal band and a like a arty band or something. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. like and there was just camaraderie bet- between just local musicians because we were all in it together where we didn't have a proper venue that was supporting local music and you know so we'd play at a skate park we'd play at a rented veterans hall we'd play at a senior citizens center wherever we could find just an open room to rent and have a show um and so all of our previous bands we had played the shit out of this area like that and then our first one with bert we were all excited um it was at a comedy club and we played our first show like 300 people came out which was awesome that's was massive at that time yeah and um and we were just promoting it, you know, like members of these former bands and whatever. And and um, they, we had a great show, but everybody literally just stood there motionless. <laughs> Every song we played, except one of them, was on our first record. Um, and everybody just stood there staring at us. And we were like, is anybody into this? Like, I know we took a chance, but fuck. Like, and then like the reception afterward was nothing but positive. We're like, okay, I guess they were just standing there staring at us because they were soaking it all in, not hating it. <laughs> so, But it was awesome. It went really well, despite the awkwardness of everybody standing there. But then afterward, the guy that ran the club told us we couldn't play there anymore and that they didn't want our kind of music there. And it's like, what the fuck? You know, and so we had nowhere to play. Um, I mean, were you guys the first band to play that comedy club? Like, what other kinds of bands were playing there no, at the time? No, not at all. I mean, we live in a college town, you know, so it's a lot of, like, college rock and just, like, shit like that, you know? And basically anything heavy at all Well, yeah, was very, like, no, you know? <laughs> but it's like, are you kidding? We didn't hurt anything. <laughs> like, nothing, you know? And we brought in a lot of people. But the same guy was always, like, you know he still to this day runs clubs in our local scene and, and um, gets a lot of praise for kind of being the backbone of the scene. But it's like, yeah, you've done a lot for this scene, but you've still never supported heavy music ever, you know, and the first signed band out of our state, you wouldn't let play at any of your clubs. So it's like, all right, you know, well, that's a good, good segue talking about being signed. So I know that you guys hooked up with John Feldman from Goldfinger. Uh, how did that come about? That was years of me being a annoying fan. Um, I have I have a really funny story about Feldman. If I could tell you really quick, I think you'll get a kick absolutely. out of it. So uh, before I was in the Ataris, before I I mean I was in bands that did some touring here and there, but it really small time stuff. Um, I had a we had a a demo that we did, and we felt like it was really good. And uh, I had some friends in the industry, and through certain friends, I got John's phone number. And one night my buddy dared me to call him and I just called him up and he answered and he was very, very nice. And now that I think back, I was such a dumb kid (laughs) calling John Feldman. Hey, what's going on? Can I send you my record? You know, it was the dumbest thing in the world, but uh, he was super nice. He gave me his address. And at the end of the call, he goes, oh, and hey, you know, 
keep this number in case we ever want to like, you know, do something. But he said, please don't give it to anybody else. <laughs> nice. He, he was a, and I, I've met him since then, like when I was playing with the Ataris and stuff. And I told him that story and he thought it was hilarious. So <laughs> I guess when you're when you're young and stupid, you know, you do stuff like that. Oh, yeah. You do anything to get on someone's radar, you know? Yeah. So how did you go about get? Did you said you just kept bugging him? Yeah, I mean, I, so I saw like their Here in Your Bedroom video debut on 120 Minutes and just fucking loved it. So I instantly became a huge fan, bought the record the next day. Their first time playing Salt Lake City went out and me and my friends were like a few of the, you know, first to have heard of him. I believe it was a warp tour um, that they were on. And then we got to meet them. They did like a little signing and said hello. And um, we were telling them we were in a band, all that stuff. This is long before he was producing, but, um, and then we just like, every time they'd play Salt Lake, we'd come out and manage to meet him and say hello again. And it got to a point where it was no longer that weird, you know, like we'd yeah. end up like back there and they're like, Hey, and greeting us by name. And then, um, around the time, just before I started the used, I went to see them play a festival in Salt Lake and he had produced, um, show off and messed and, we were talking about the band and, and struggling because our bass player, Jeff, was our singer at the time, but was not a good singer at all. Um, so we were just trying to figure out what to do. And he gave me his email address and was like, yeah, well, when you've got something, send it to me. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> and so I just hung on to that until the timing was right. We started to use and I was, I, you know, I, I named the band and we we dove into it. And I was producing these home demos that a handful of them have released. Um, and we put them out on like some B-sides and stuff. But but I just emailed him those songs. And like I sent him a couple. And he responded was like, these are cool. Send me more. And we were like freaking out. Like, oh, my God. You know, and, and like he replied. Let alone <laughs> like he liked them. Yeah. So we did a couple more um, or one more or something. And same thing. Literally got like the same reply. Like, this is cool. Send more. And it's like, fuck. Is he just. That like an auto reply, you it's know? An like, auto reply, yeah. <laughs> so I kind of pumped the brakes and waited till we wrote like five more songs, and then once those were done, I sent them all to him, and he literally called me the next morning. It was such a bizarre morning because I was up at like six a.m. My little brother was leaving on a Mormon mission, um, and this was like a month or so before September eleventh. Wow! And so it was when you could like you know, say goodbye to someone at the airport, walk them all the way to the gate, hang yeah. out at the gate till they left. So my family and I are just sitting at the gate. I'm tired as hell. I had a cell phone at the time and my phone rings. I'm like, what the fuck? And I answered and it was John Feldman. And he was calling me from Norway. <laughs> and he's like, Hey, I'm playing a festival in Norway. Like we're playing with Deftones and a bunch of band. I'm like, what? Like, and then he's like, I love your songs. I want to bring you guys to LA and produce a demo for you and bring you on tour with Goldfinger. Jeez. And I was like, you know, like tears in my eyes. I'm like, <laughs> fuck yeah. Like, and like I called Quinn and woke him up, called Jeff with everybody. We we're all crying and freaking out. And like, it just felt like we like made it, you know? And yeah. it was the biggest thing, even though it meant nothing. Like all, all we were doing was a demo that didn't guarantee anything, Yeah, but just something about that was so massive to us. I'll never forget it. So when you guys got out to LA and you were doing the recording, I mean, did did he have hookups at labels? Like, what was the process of actually getting signed? So there was a bit of a 
so we went out with the intention of doing two songs. Um, we did a box of sharp objects and um, I want to say maybe memories. And then we had written that song, the taste of ink. Yeah. But we had a chorus that we didn't like, and it was a song kind of a sad song about just being stuck here in Utah and, and the depressing lives we're all living. Um, so we, we were like, we have this song we wanted to show you, but like, we want to rewrite the choruses. And so we showed him and he's like, those verses are great. Like, yeah, write a chorus. And so he stayed and was like editing in a studio and we sat in his living room with an acoustic guitar and we wrote the chorus about what we were doing. Uh, just the fact that we were there in LA, we didn't know what that was going to mean. And, and, you know, so it was literally like those lyrics, like, here I am, it's in my hand, and I'll savor every moment of this. Yeah. It was like about us being out there working with a producer and all this shit. So it was just huge, but it ended up being a really catchy, good song with a strong chorus. And so he just showed that to a couple manager friends of his that came over, Paul Gomez and John Reese, and they loved it. Um, he showed it to a lawyer friend of his, Eric Greenspan, who represented the Chili Peppers their entire career. And like had worked with like Tool and um, so many artists and that dude loved it. And those guys just kind of went to town on it. Like, Hey, if you want to work with us, we're eager to run with this. And we were like, Holy shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and they were all great people had done great work and were in it for the right reasons and really got what we were going for. And so they started sending it around and it was a fucking whirlwind where like, we got our first showcase set up with Warner Brothers um, with Craig Aronson, who we were blown away because he had signed at the drive-in. Um, he tried to sign Green Day when he was at Capitol Records, um, but that was when they ended up going with Reprise. But, um, but man, he just was like the guy signing things that no one else would, but yeah. they were huge. He ended up signing us. He signed My Chemical Romance. He signed Glassjaw. He signed so many amazing artists. Um, you know, bless, bless the guy. He passed away a few years ago, but, um, but that guy was incredible. And then we ended up showcasing for so many other labels and suddenly we had to cut it off at like a dozen labels because we had all these major labels trying to sign us. And it was like, Holy shit. Like we were, there had never been a signed band in Utah state ever. Not a, not a rock band. Donnie and Marie Osmond were the only signed music from our state. So we had no one's examples to learn from no one, like, you know, no one to pick their brain and get their opinions on. So we were just winging it, you know, and, and, and luckily, um, you know, we really narrowed it down to a couple awesome ones and the guys at Warner were just willing to, they were willing to let us do everything our way from who did our artwork to what songs went on the record and what order and, you know, what the record was like and who did our album artwork and, Every single aspect of our record, they gave us 100% creative control and they just let us do our thing, which was unheard of because Feldman was pretty much an unknown yeah. producer at the time. Because I mean, and now we he's an unknown th band. through you guys and through the things he's done with Sleeping With Sirens or whoever, like all these different bands and Five Seconds of Summer and all these different things. Before that, I mean, you, like you said, it was show off and messed, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. There was, and, and neither really did a whole lot. You know, I think Mest sold a few records like decent on their first record, but really they were both just kind of different versions of Goldfinger. Yeah. And, and so it was like, this was his first thing. And I remember I had to have a, a phone call with the president of Warner brothers because there was a worry that they were 
were concerned about having like a green producer, you know, and this unknown guy producing our record and they wanted us to maybe work with somebody else or they just weren't going to, he wasn't being taken care of. So I had to have a call with him and was like, listen, like we're down. We want to sign with you guys, but we need to know John Feldman will be taken care of. And he's like, all right, I give you my word. He will. And I was like, that's great, but I need to hear it from John. So you need to get on with him and you need to convince him that he's going to be taken care of. And he needs to call me and tell me that. (laughs) And I was like, as soon as that conversation happens, we're good, which felt really gnarly to do as a 23 year old guy that (laughs) knew nothing of this world. And I'm telling the president of Warner brothers, like hard stance, like we're not doing shit till our producer convinces us that you're going to take care of him. That loyalty though is amazing because I mean, you guys, you know, he called you up, Hey, I'm in Norway. I want you guys to come out here. And then he helps you guys get signed. And then because he's a green producer, you guys might leave him in the dust, but you guys didn't. That's, I think that's amazing, man. It was just kind of a, it was a a family thing from the get go where he took a big chance on us. You know, there was really nothing like what we were doing at the time. And so for him to be the guy to take that chance and work with us was massive to us. And, and to be that first guy to really, you know, take our phone call, so to speak. And so it was like, well, we're not going to let this guy, you know, put everything on the line for us just to walk away and go with some big name dude that we're just another project. And, you know, like this guy's invested and, and he gives a shit and he gets what we're doing. And so there was no chance in hell we would have left him behind. Um, and it was just kind of like both of us, like, no, we're in this together. We're all learning. And that's what made it special because he had a lot of formulas and a lot of things he would try to put on us, but we had a lot of resistance against those things that forced him to think outside of his own box. And I think the two and that compromise challenged both sides in a really nice way where, you know, we learned a lot about our songwriting and, and, you know, just dynamics and hooks and, and structures and stuff. But then he learned a lot about, you know, kind of breaking what he thought were rules at the time, maybe, or, you know, just kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit. So you guys were on Warner. Uh, I, I know it kind of it was a slow start, but you know, when the taste of ink started hitting hard and things started going a little bit crazy, what was it like when you first started touring to when the band actually could have achieved that success? Was there, was it a steady kind of climb or was it an overnight thing one day? It just, Oh, now we're on a bus. Like, how did that go? It was, it felt like a really long road, even though it, it, in retrospect, it, it happened pretty quickly, I would say, but we, one of the biggest things with the label we were saying was we would use the example that our favorite bands we discovered on our own, like, you know, it was whether it was at a show in person or, or like, you know, the, the skate videos or 120 minutes and things like this. But it was like, just this, um, this kind of mainstream, like release of catchy single wasn't what we were interested in, you know? And so we told them that the biggest thing we wanted to do was tour. We wanted to get out there and in people's faces and let them learn of our band themselves and not release a video or a single. Um, so we did like a homemade video of a box full of sharp objects that just kind of released digitally pretty much. Um, and was like a DVD handout thing we'd give out at shows and whatever. Um, and that was like our quote unquote first single, which we knew wasn't like a catchy hooky single type of song. Um, but the idea was just to get people's attention where we're like, no, we don't want like a radio hit. We want to just get on people's radar. So 
we toured and toured like crazy playing for everyone and anyone. Um, we were playing shows where the only people at them were the other bands we were playing with, you know? And, and it was just like kind of discouraging. Uh, like I remember we, we bought a motor home, this like little ship motor home um, to tour in. Cause we didn't want to do the van thing. And we started touring and we just were like, yeah, we made it. And suddenly we're playing for no one and you'd get a day off and like go in a record store or something somewhere and ask if they had our record. And it wasn't even like in their system. And it was like, Jesus, like didn't realize this is what it was going to be like, you know, like this feels like we're an unsigned band without a record and we're just out playing for no one because no one's heard of us. And then it was like the kind of thing where the fourth time you make it to a city, you know, suddenly there are people there and they're singing your songs and wearing shirts. And it was just the first two and a half years or something we toured. Our, our longest break at home was 10 days. Wow. And it was just, we just lived on the road. And so by doing that, you know, playing warp Tour on those small stages, walking around the crowd with Walkmans and putting headphones on people and playing them our music, trying to sell them our CD. Like Bert would do that with us. We would just like, literally wander around the crowd trying to get people to listen to us. And, and just through that hard work by a year later, we were one of the headliners on warp tour and our record had gone gold, you know, and, yeah, and we could afford a tour bus and, you know, and so it was a, a lot of work, but I think, you know, a year from the touring we were doing playing for no one to being like a headliner on warp tour and having a gold record is pretty fucking good for the digital era, you know, but it was a lot of work. <laughs> I, I was going to tell you, you were talking about Bert and at Warp Tour. I had one other little thing that just popped into my head. I remember one day, uh, I think, I think we were watching Avenged Sevenfold, maybe. I'm not sure, but I was on the stage, on the side of the stage, and then all of a sudden I see Davey Havoc pulling up with like a scooter and like Bert was on the back of the scooter or maybe Davey was on the back of the scooter <laughs> and Davey had this little black umbrella, I guess to stay out of the sun. And it's just, it's burned into my mind. Those two guys riding a scooter around backstage. That's awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah. But uh, that's so rad. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like 2003, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was such an incredible lineup too. Like it was amazing. Oh my yeah. God. That year was like, that was rancid was on that year. That was when I became friends with the guys. They were one of my favorite punk bands of all time. And um, Ranza was on it, Dropkick Murphys, AFI. like, um, And then we had like Thrice and Glassjaw and um, oh, who else? I'm, my try- God, I'm trying was, to remember. I think was it, it was so good, though. It was really, like, really good. Yeah. Just a perfect, perfect lineup of whatever you want to call our genre and like punk rock you know it was all the best bands it was incredible i think actually one of those times that i actually talked to you backstage at warp tour at catering or whatever you had a rancid shirt on so i think it's really i mean you said they're one of your favorite bands how did you know what led you to leave the used if you don't mind to talk about that oh no i don't mind at all i i was fired from the used okay Um, i would have never left that was my band like i said i started the band named the band got assigned that was my band you know but um, unfortunately, you know, when, when the band started, we were three sober guys with one recovering addict, um, that, you know, all he was doing was drinking a whole lot and smoking a lot of weed, but at least he wasn't using needles anymore. And so it was like, Hey, like, at least, you know, that's, a, that's party, a win, man. <laughs> it, yeah. So we were just happy that that was where he was at. And, um, but then, you know, when you, when you get that kind of success, it, it can, 
catch up to people. And, um, I mean, it's all in the past now, but, um, at the time everybody was getting quite caught up in the sex, drugs and rock and roll cliche. And, you know, my girlfriend who was my fiance at the time, um, and still one of my best friends, she toured with us as our like merch person. Um, the whole time I was in the band, um, from our first tiniest shows ever to arena shows. And, um, so, you know, I was just in a very monogamous relationship. I had been sober and drug free my entire life. And I was just really into like the business and the work of being in a band. I didn't give a fuck about the party and the, like, you know, all that shit. So what, but in like 2005, maybe, um, we were touring so much. And at this point we could afford a couple buses. So we decided for the sake of everyone's comfort, we would do a sober bus and a party bus. Yeah. And that was for rather than a band bus and a crew bus, it was like, no, let's let everybody just be comfortable. Like, you know, so I was on the sober bus with all of our crew guys that were sober and everybody else in the band were on the party bus. And it was exactly what you'd think where they got busted at a border crossing with, cocaine on our passports and weed in the bus and you know they all had to go show their assholes to border patrol and it was like uh okay meanwhile like the sober bus were just sitting on the curb waiting <laughs> and it was like <laughs> just kind of gnarly but like um but because of that and me being the only guy on that sober bus it just started creating kind of what i can only figure as as kind of a wall between us yeah and then while we were Diving into making the third record, um, they all of a sudden Bert was like letting me know that him and Quinn were going to write the record, and I was like, "Wait, what?" Quinn and I always write all the music, like, but okay, you know, like I don't get it, but okay. And then it just seemed weird and off. And then like a week later, Quinn called me, and he fired me from the band because he said that I was too different and that they wanted somebody that would go party and hang out with them like that. Yeah. And I was like, I literally was uh, to this day. It was like, I think I'm the first person to be kicked out of a band <laughs> for being sober. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and then, um, I was cracked, man. My, I was heartbroken. I was trying to talk Quinn out of it and they weren't having it. They wanted somebody to party. And so, um, they made that record without me and then, um, got, uh, buddy of ours from salt lake city dan to play drums which dan's a fucking awesome drummer you know um and and he's great so um so they did good in that way but you know it it just changed the whole dynamic because it was what quinn and i had in our chemistry that was making that music what it was and then bert would paint over top of it you know and so obviously if you listen to the records it's just it very much changed the the style of the band. Well, I know that Quinn is no longer in the band. Are you guys close now, or is there still like a rift between you guys? Oh no, Quinn's one of my best friends. I love that guy. Um, we, you know, like we hadn't spoken quite a while. I didn't talk to anybody. No one take my calls or anything for like a year, um, which was a huge bummer. Um, and then I remember, like a year after I had been in the band, Bert called me at like three a.m. on his birthday. And I was just like, kind of like, the fuck do you want? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and he's like, it's my birthday. I'm like, did you call me to tell me it's your birthday? Like, you know, and, and then we ended up talking for like four hours and it was great. And wow. I loved the dude, you know, I, I, I still do. He's Bert. He's got his thing, you know, and, and he, 
loves to talk shit. He loves to be a dick, but in the end, like I've always loved the guy, but that's um, good, man. So we made everything cool. And, and, uh, you know, Jeff and I squashed things over time and, and I was just really hurt, you know, like they didn't have my back or stand up for me. And then Quinn was the one that did it. And, and it was like, I had a beef for a while. And then eventually I was playing a show filling in for Goldfinger in Belgium. Yeah. And the U's were playing that show as well. That was in 2010, and, right? Um, sure. <laughs> well, I, I, I did some research and there was a little like footnote that said filled in for Darren and Goldfinger oh, okay. in 2010. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was, it was cool. And I didn't know what to think. Feldman gave me a heads up like, Hey, just so you know, the U's will be there. And I'm like, Oh, fucking great. You know? And, and then I, he was like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to hug him or punch him. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'll know when I get there, you know? And then like, I thought about it and I was like, you know what? Like, like it is what it is. Like what's done is done. All I can do is take the high road and just try to be a good person. And, you know, and when I saw Quinn, I was just like, get over here. And like, just gave him a huge hug. And he was so timid and, and <laughs> whatever. And thought he was going to get killed, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rightfully so. But, um, and then it was cool. And then like, we ran into each other a few other times and places and, it was always cool. And then we had some heart to hearts and it was just like, look, you know, like he really had a lot of accountability for his fuck up and he knew that he fucked up and, and what, you know, he paid the price for it. If you looked at what happened to the band, I mean, they got dropped from their label. They, you know, had a falling out with management. They lost their entire team because they just kept making shitty decision over and over. And it just, they really paid for it. And yeah. so it's like, yeah, I don't need to be a dick. And like, you know, try to make some point that life hasn't already made to them. <laughs> and, and him and I hit it off and I really love the dude. We've actually been writing music for the last couple of years together, working on a project together and it's incredible. And he's one of my favorite people on earth to collaborate with musically. And he's so talented. Like I love the dude to death. So all of that stuff's in the past and I have nothing bad to say about any of them. Like I, I love that guy for sure. That's awesome, man. And that leads us up to, you know, joining rancid, which that had to be a mind fuck, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're like, uh, so there was two months that I was in no band and I had no interest in being in a band, you know, where I was like, all right, if I can just like focus on working hard, being ambitious, really trying to keep my career on track, you know, and really trying to take care of this band, bringing Bert tea and medicine and everything when he's throwing up and canceling sound checks because he was up till 5 a.m. eating shrooms. It's like, <laughs> I just was literally like working so hard to keep that band together so we'd have a career and could do that shit long term. And, and I was like, you know, I tried to be completely honest and just a good person. And it got me fucking fired. Like, you know, and I was like, no one did anything. The label management, no one stepped in to have my back and say, no, you shouldn't do this, you know? And so I was just like, this is not an in, industry I want to be a part of like at all. And I hadn't played drums. I just stopped and was just enjoying my summer, trying not to think about anything, literally spent every day on the water in my boat <laughs> and just like tried to forget about reality. And then, um, the coolest thing was Max Weinberg would call me like every other day and give me like pep talks like the max weinberg 
Yeah, E Street Band, Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> oh my Max God. Weinberg. That's awesome, And it man. was pretty incredible. He was so encouraging, so cool from, like, putting me in touch with his lawyer to talk to about legal stuff to just simply encouraging me to keep playing drums and not give up. And and the craziest thing he he said to me, I'll never forget, was he was like, he's like, you know, when Bruce broke up the E Street Band, Ringo Starr would call me all the time and give me pep talks saying that he could relate to when his band broke up, you know, and, and he's like, his band so it, being the Beatles, the fucking Beatles. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's like, so I just figured if I can kind of return the favor, paying it forward kind of thing. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> is this Ringo real life? Star pep talking Max Weinberg to Max Weinberg pep talking me like, Oh my God. Like, that's what insane. The fuck is this? That is you know insane, what I mean? it, man. It was blowing my mind. And so, the coolest day was um, Ransom was playing two nights in Salt Lake City. And I was driving up with my best friend Spike to go see Rancid and was on the phone with Max the whole way up there, the, you know, 45 minute drive. He's just talking to me and pep talking me and stuff. We get there and the guys are super cool. We're hanging out and, and they were like, hey, stick around after the show. We want to hear what happened. That's fucked up. And watch the show. Lars and the guys are giving me shout outs on stage. We all hang out afterward on the bus, and I tell them the whole story, and they're just like, "That's fucked up." You were the only one we liked in that band, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, they were yeah. just being rad, like, yeah. and and they're like, "Come back up tomorrow, you know, we want to hang more." And so I went out the next day, um, you know, me and Brett Reed shooting pool the, the whole time until they played, and just hanging out and talking music and stuff. And and I'll never forget, like the end of the night, I was leaving, and Tim's just like. You know, keep your shit up. Keep playing. Something's going to work out for you. I know it. And I'm just like, thanks, man. And he's like, yeah, I'll be in touch. And like a couple of days later, he'd hit me up like, hey, man, hope you're well. Like just, you know, on uh, playing wherever tonight. And and I was just so stoked. Like, no way. This guy's like one of my punk rock heroes. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like dropped me a line, encouraging me. So I started playing drums. I was like, fuck it. I'm going for it. And every day for a week, I just started playing. Like I made a playlist everything from jazz to fucking everything heavy and groovy and punk and everything in between. And I just was laying in my drums every day. And that was a Monday. I dove into it that Friday. Tim hit me up and told me to call him. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, (laughs) okay. So I call him up and he's all like sad as hell sounding. And he's like, man, he's like, Brett Reed just quit rancid. Jeez. And I'm like, fuck. And I'm like bummed thinking he's calling me, telling me my fucking favorite band broke up. Yeah. And I was like, no, like, God damn it. You know? And, and he's like, yeah, we have this three and a half week UK tour in five days. And, and he quit and I'm like, fuck man, I'm so sorry. And he's like, yeah. So we want to know, will you do the tour? (laughs) And I literally, dude, my eyes just welled up with water and I was just like stomach churned and without even thinking, I was like, fuck yeah, I'll do it. And he's like, hell yeah. And like, he's like, all right, I'm gonna have Lars call you. I'm like, all right, cool. And, you know, ran inside and blasted out my ass because I was like (laughs) instantly just like sick and like, (laughs) and then. Lars calls me and gives me like 25 songs to learn in two days. And I'm like, holy shit. And then I flew out to LA and we met up. I had to ship my drums to England 
because wow. it was committed. But I was like, oh my God, like, all right, well, here we go. And so we met up with all this just rental backline. They didn't have their guitars or anything because everyone was already, everything was already in England. And so we meet up at this little ghetto rehearsal spot in LA, whatever was available last minute. And um, they walk in the room and are just like, hey, and they all give me hugs and stuff. They're like, all right, let's play Roots Radical. And they, Lars just started it. And I'm like, holy shit, like they've been in here for one minute. <laughs> We're diving in. <laughs> no talk, nothing. So we play the song and they're all like, fuck yeah, like so stoked afterward. And then they're like, all right, let's play a fast one. And they're like, let's play It's Quite All Right. I'm like, all right. And I love that song, but it, it you know, there was just a lot of room where, where you could have added some little bit bigger fills and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but otherwise, I love like keeping stuff true to the original. Um, just put things where it makes sense, you know? Um, and so I just did like a couple little you know, my style fills in it. And when that song ended 45 seconds later or whatever, <laughs> you know, no, it's like a two minute song, but they were all just like, yeah, like so stoked. And I'm like, it meant the world to me, but meanwhile, my stomach's still in knots and I'm like still so nervous. And they're like, let's take a break. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like we just started. Just we did played two four songs. Minutes of music, <laughs> yeah. You know? And so we go outside and, I'm sitting at this table and, and, um, and like, you know, a couple of Lars off there having a cigarette or whatever and making phone calls and shit. I don't really know what's going on. I'm just sitting there patiently. And then they come over and sit down and Matt Freeman was like, all right, so we want you to be a permanent member of the band, you know, full 25% member. Are you down? Jeez. And I'm just like, holy shit. Like, yeah, I'm down. And I'm like, all right, awesome. Let's go play. And like, <laughs> we went back, played like maybe six more songs. And then that was it. They called it for the day. They're like, nah, you're good. I'm like, what the fuck? And then like, they gave me 15 more songs to learn that night. And then we rehearsed again the next day and only played for like a half hour. And we hadn't even played every song that we were going to play in the first show. Wow. And they were like, yeah, we're good. And then that was it. We left and went to England and started tour. How was, was that first show? Crazy. It was incredible. It was so terrifying, but that just made it that much more incredible. Yeah. And I'll never forget like the nerves and, you know, and, and the fact that we had to play songs that I hadn't even played with the band. Um, and it went flawless. I mean, it was fucking great. And I shouldn't say flawless because there was one song, St. Mary, I'll always remember, like has like a kick drum kind of intro. And I fucked up and just played like the double time beat through that kick drum part. I was like, Oh no shit. Like, Oh well. And it just kind of worked and we just played it off. Like it was on purpose. But other than that one fuck up, everything went perfect and it was great. And every show since then has been great. So. I mean, to go from kind of being down and not even knowing if you want to be in the music industry ever again to, Oh, I just got to join as a, you know, an equal member, my favorite band. <laughs> yeah, it was nuts. It was all of that's like a movie, man. Oh, absolutely, it completely is. And like, it just the whole thing, you know. I mean, it it was a trip because I just went from like these guys being one of my favorite punk bands ever to being just my bandmates. It was like weird, you know. Like it was really weird, and you learn a lot of everybody. Like you know, you, I mean, there's 
no closer relationship than being in a band with someone, you know? No, definitely. I mean, everybody says it's like a marriage and, you know, I just, without dating, dove into marriage with these guys. (laughs) We all got to know each other really quick, but it was a trip, but a lot of fun. That's awesome. Well, tell me about the new record, Troublemaker. Well, you wouldn't know. Well, I mean, I mean, I know it wasn't your first one. You actually played your first record you played on was Let the Dominoes Fall, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been on three records now. Okay. Um, you know, it's so weird writing the Rancid record. It's fun, but so different where like, I mean, it, for the most part, Tim's like a, the main songwriter in the way that maybe he'll come in with a, a song idea or something and, and we'll show it to all of us. But the weirdest part that happens every record we make, that's so bizarre. And this happens so much, but like Gerwitz will be there. He'll produce everything we do. He always has. Um, and Tim will have like a song and he'll show it to all of us. Just sit down with his acoustic strum, something that maybe has kind of a loose chorus idea. And he'll play it for all of us like one time. And Gerwitz is like, rad, let's record it. <laughs> and we record everything live um, musically. And so we're like, okay. And I'm trying to just kind of remember, you know, the rough tempo and arrangement stuff. And, and so we'll sit down and, and uh, we'll play it. And there's been so many times where that first time we play the song is the one and only time. And that's what you hear on the record. Wow, man. Like it's all of us, you know, like Lars and Matt, like, okay, what were the chords again? And he'll show them and we just kind of wing it and just kind of put the rancid vibe on it and, and we'll play it and that'll be it. And then they'll overdub maybe some leads or, or, you know, if a guitar needs fatten up or something, but then lay down vocals and, and that's it. And so it's just a trip to make a record like that where I, we used to, you know, making a used record was a hundred percent opposite and very in depth and, you know, a much slower process. So it's just a very different experience. I know that you said you did, you know, the majority with Quinn, the writing for the used as far as the music goes, have you been able to kind of express yourself with rancid and like bring some ideas to the table? Um, yes and no, like in the way that I can throw out a suggestion or, you know, an idea and, and whatever, and, and they're very receptive to that and will listen. But at the same time, the way these songs are written uh, so often, there's not a whole lot of room to do that. You know, it's kind of, and, and you know what it is where it's like, I was very careful when I joined the band and took a, a lot of time to think about it where I was like, okay, as a fan, I want to look at this as a fan. Like, I would be super bummed to know Brett Reed left the band. If some guy came in and just started overplaying the fuck out of these songs and just like over flashy and whatever, I'd be super bummed and that would annoy me. But if some guy came in and all he did was exactly the same as Brett Reed, but he wasn't Brett Reed, yeah. I'd be bummed at that, you know? And so I just tried to kind of find my own voice where. I want to, I don't want to change the sound of the band because it's a great sound and I didn't want to fuck that up, you know? And it was like, there's some room for a little bit of stuff here and there. You can, you know, dance around a vocal and do some accents and things to bring out a vocal or a guitar or bass part. But for the most part, it is what it is. I mean, there's those few, you know, handful of grooves that you hear with rancid. There's kind of like our Scott like vibe. There's our, 
hardcore fast vibe. There's a more like street punk kind of mid tempo vibe and Ramonesy vibe. So it kind of just creates a, you already know what I already know what I should do. So I don't, I don't dive in as deep because it doesn't feel like there's that room, you know? So there's room for me to do my thing, but respectfully to the process and the music, I don't in most cases because I want to keep it true to the original sound, you know? Do you play with a click track most of the time or in the studio? Um, no, it kind of is hit or miss. Um, I love playing to a click, but at the same time, I can appreciate that there might be a little more rawness if you don't. Yeah. Um, and so it's really kind of, we kind of wing it song by song. Like usually our engineer, by the time we're diving into something, they'll have already figured out a, a tap to get like pretty close click to what, you know, we had just heard. And then, or if we're writing or something or, and, or jamming something, we'll maybe turn on a click here and there. But for the most part, I don't know, it's probably half and half, you know, like I, I prefer playing to a click just cause I like knowing I'm, I'm keeping it in time yeah. and everything's solid. But at the same time, you know, Brett and those guys aren't going to let it fly if I'm rushing or, or, yeah. you know, fucking something up. So, um, even when there's no click, they're going to be. I mean, Gerwitz has played with some of the sickest drummers. You know, yeah, so totally, man. I mean, he's gonna know if I'm fucking up. He played with Brooks. Brooks is pretty insane. Oh, I love that dude. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, man. I've had you on the phone for a really long time, uh, so I'm not gonna take up a lot more of your time. But I do want to ask you. This show is called that one time on tour. Sometimes the guests prepare like a story, but if you didn't, that's fine. You've done a lot of touring with the used, with Rancid. You know, you've been all over the world. Do you have something that sticks out in your mind, like a story that just you would like to share with us? Um, honestly, so many pop up from mischief to just, you know, incredible experiences. Um, getting to play with like some of my favorite artists, like Flea came and played a song with us one time, That's things like awesome. that. You know, what stands out maybe most recently is, um, just our, our touring with Green Day, um, uh, like I said, they've been one of my favorite bands since I was 15. And um, I just fucking love that band. But I watch their show every single night because it's like I get a chance to watch Green Day side stage. Like, yeah. you bet your ass I'm going to do it. And so I would watch every night. And at a point, Trey was like, hey, like, bring your in ears and I'll let you use one of my packs. And you can listen to the show through one of my packs. And oh, I was like, man. like, oh shit, that'd be sick, you know? And so. I'm like sitting there watching. Um, we're somewhere in Europe. If I thought about it for a moment, I could think of where, but, um, and I'm standing there side of stage and watching the show. And it was so incredible, like listening through his pack. And then all of a sudden I'm getting like motioned to go back behind the drums. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and like, everybody's like pushing me and motioning me like, no, Trey's waving you over. So I go running back there to his tech, Nathaniel. And they're playing um, their Op Ivy cover, Knowledge. Knowledge, yeah, yeah. And which, of course, like, I know they bring people up to play that song. Like, um, they used to switch out the whole band, but now they always bring someone up to play guitar. And so I run back there, and he just hands me some sticks. He's like, Trey wants you to play. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> you know, like, completely unprepared and just, like, caught me off guard. And I just went from zero to fucking out of my mind instantly. That's and awesome, man. Sure enough, Trey's just waving me up, and I just start like, 
I step up next to him, start hitting the snare with him, and he just steps out from the kit, and I slide in like <laughs> we didn't miss a beat in the middle of the song and just played that with him and ended up doing it like three other times during the tour too, and that was some of my favorite experiences ever where like I'm behind the kit and, you know, Mike Dirt looks over and is like, hey, like didn't even realize I slipped in and Billy Joe turns around, same thing, just reacting like, well, like, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, like, fucking I'm behind the kit behind Billy Joe playing on stage with Green Day. Like this is fucking mind blowing, you know, and not only is it, I get that feeling every night with Rancid. Yeah. But yeah. To do that with, with Rancid and Green Day <laughs> the same night and several times that was, that's definitely one that stands out as the most recent. Yeah. I was going to say, it's like when you get done playing drums with Green Day, it's not like you go to your factory job. You then you go get to play with Rancid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. Yep. Okay, man. Well, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I would like to know about the future. You've got, you know, stuff coming out with Rancid. What's uh, what's on the agenda for you guys? This is going to be a big year for us. We're making some, uh, some big announcements in the next couple of weeks. Um, but we're going to be touring a lot this year, playing a lot of shows and, uh, I have some really cool, exciting stuff we're working on. So that'll all be, um, announced in the next couple of weeks. So all I can say is people need to stay tuned for that, but, um, it's going to be a good busy year. I'm excited. And then hopefully I've been talking about it for far too long without anything coming out, but the music Quinn and I recorded, um, we've had an EP finished for a while. We're just sorting out, um, details with the vocals and kind of getting on the same page with, with, uh, additional people. And so, um, that's kind of held up our process, but we've had an EP finished for quite a while that we want to get out. So that'll hopefully see the light of day this year as well. So should be a good year. Cool, man. Well, where can people uh, find you on the social media outlets? Um, I'm on Instagram just under my full name, Brandon Steinekert. Um, the weird ass spelling B R A N D E N. And then, uh, S T E I N E C K E R T. So I'm on Instagram. And then of course, like Twitter is 801, 801 P U N X. And, uh, yeah, I mean, those are the main ones, but, but yeah, I'm active. I'm on there and you can come see what me and my girlfriend are up to. Cause we like to live fun adventures and, you know, from swimming with sharks to playing in deserts and mountains. So <laughs> Sounds cool, see man. See what we're up to. Well, hey, man, I want to thank you again so much for coming on the show, and I can't wait to hear the news about Rancid and what you guys have coming up this year. And uh, I wish you luck. I hope everything keeps working out really well for you. And thank you once again, man. Thanks, man. I really appreciate all the support. Thanks for having me. No problem. I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Brandon Stinnekert from Rancid and The Used. I had such a good time talking to Brandon. Definitely going to have him back in the future for a part two. Yeah, that's going to do it for this week, guys. Thank you so much for checking out episode number 40, The Big Four Zero. It's crazy that we've come this far. I've almost been doing this podcast for a year. It just keeps getting better and better. Next week on the show, I get to sit down with Mr. Sean Cologne, director of the awesome documentary of Fat Wreck. If you guys are not familiar with Fat Records, you should be. It's one of my favorite record labels. It's a big part of my my musical upbringing. So make sure to come back next week for my conversation with Sean Cologne from a Fat Wreck documentary. Uh, thank you guys for always being supportive and uh, I appreciate all of it. 
I appreciate the tweets and uh, the posts on IG that you tag me on and the Facebook stuff. Facebook's actually doing better. We used to not have hardly anybody on Facebook, but now it's starting to take off. So going over to all the social medias at T-O-T-O-T podcast. You want to become a sponsor or you have a question or whatever, hit me up T-O-T-O-T podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget about the hotline. Just call one 372 8818. And that's going to do it for episode 40. I cannot wait till we hit 50 and then 60 and then 70. I've got guests planned out and booked through the next two months. So we've got all kinds of crazy stuff coming up. So I'm going to get out of here, but not before I play a song off of Rancid's most recent record that's out on Epitaph. It is called Troublemaker. And the song that I'm going to play is Telegraph Avenue. So have a great week, everybody. And I will see you next time on that one time on tour. See ya.
Did you poop? Did you poo poo? Daddy can smell it. Did you poo poo? Hey, Say, I poo poo. Did you poo poo? A poo poo. <laughs> a poo poo. A poo poo. Right? <laughs> he poo pooed. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.